So this is a different kind of message. I can be honest with you. I kind of downloaded this in my head uh, the other day. We're not going to look just at the Christmas story. We're going to look specifically at the mind and the heart and perhaps the thoughts and the feelings of Joseph, who is betrothed to Mary. The Lord showed me something about Joseph that I think bears repeating. And there's a lot going on. Luke chapter 1, Mary is uh, meeting with angels. <laughs> Gabriel, think about this. She, a virgin is with child by the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth is pregnant. John the Baptist is impacted by uh, Mary as they encounter one another. There's a, a lot of, Mary's writing a song about all of this. I know there's a modern day song that says, Mary, did you know? Well, yes, the answer is yes, she did. She, she knew all this. We can sing it, but she knew. In fact, she sang about it. But anyway, nonetheless, Mary, Elizabeth, uh, Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, John the Baptist, everybody's aware of what's going on. There's, there's a lot written about it in there, but where's, uh, where's uh, Joseph? What's his story? Where, where, where is he in the loop? And I want to take a look at that right here. Verse 18, Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Betrothed is a serious thing back then, okay? Engagement nowadays is the amount of time you have to get your wedding arrangements together and get the stationery and the invitations out. This is a formal, almost like a marriage, that you would have to divorce the other person from. A betrothal is not anywhere near like your modern-day engagement. I, I do a lot of premarital uh, counseling with couples before they're married. And I try to take that engagement and make it mean something. It's a preparatory stage. It's a, a commitment stage. It's a growth stage for each person before they come together as husband and wife. Well, this is serious back here now. So Joseph and Mary are betrothed to one another. And he's coming to the conclusion. Now let's get inside his head. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, that's not my baby. You know, that's kind of a thing that may have come up in his mind, huh? Did you know that for the last 30 years, 40%, 40% of the children being raised in this country are being raised by someone other than their father? 25% are not being raised by a father at all. Think about this. The blended families in our country are such that a lot of men are marrying women not knowing how they're really going to raise someone else's child. Isn't this interesting? This is a, a complexity that has to ultimately affect the culture. No doubt about it. Well, here, here Joseph is, and, and he's got this understanding that he is in this formal, contractual, serious betrothal, and the woman he's supposed to marry is pregnant. And I guess... <laughs> I guess he's the only one that's really had to deal with that. I don't know of too many people. Have you? That this baby is 
conceived. It, it's the immaculate conception by God. This is God. This is a one-of-a-kind thing. He can't Google this. He can't ask Alexa how to deal with this. This hasn't even happened. It's not even on the radar. Nobody knows how to deal with this. And here's this man. Seemingly on the outside looking in. I mean, Elizabeth, Zechariah, John the Baptist, even as an infant, everybody's in on it. And he's kind of seeming like, let me try to figure this out. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Let's sort of deal with the issue, shall we? Let's sort of make this go away. Well, nothing's changed. He's not implying this, but there are a lot of, well, that's not putting it justice. There's tens of millions of decisions to secretly deal with a pregnancy and has been for years in our country and culture. He now is not implying that, but he is saying, can't we just sort of make this go away? Make this arrangement go away, make this betrothal go away, and just go our separate ways. I, I want to protect her reputation. I'll even move out of town. I'll go somewhere else. I'll do something, but let's just, just kind of move on, shall we? He was minded to put her away secretly. Okay, so he's got some outside force beyond his control that he had nothing to do with. It's not like he's responsible for this situation. It's not like he's raising this child because it's his child. He's not, he's not there. He's in a different place. He's having to say, this happened beyond me. If, in fact, I believe her, this happened beyond me and beyond her, and now we have to deal with this. We have to deal with the fact that, yes, we are betrothed, and yes, she is pregnant, and Apparently, it's nobody's child but God's. I, I feel for the man. <laughs> I, feel, I feel for the man. I don't know how you get counseling on something like this. What feelings? He, he had to be shocked. He had to, be, he had to feel, in, in a way, overlooked. Like, why am I the last to get in on this? Like, the whole neighborhood knows, but I don't, kind of thing. I know when we had our babies, I, I sort of felt like, I was nine months behind in a way. I didn't get the kicks. I felt them on the outside, but not the inside. I didn't have the nausea, praise the Lord. Or the sleeplessness. Yeah, I had that. But here's this man. He's shocked. He's overlooked. He's excluded from this process in some way. Bypassed temporarily for some reason. Probably angry. Certainly angry. Certainly like overwhelmed and anxious and, and maybe even on some level embarrassed. And, and, and he's afraid. Afraid of what? Well, he's afraid that people might find out. He's afraid of the reputation of the families. He's, he's like in a quandary. He, he really is. I, I guess on some level he may even feel like he's been, been gypped, been robbed of an opportunity. He's maybe even feeling emasculated. I don't know, but this is a one-of-a-kind scenario. And this just needs to go away. He's filing this in his head. He's saying to himself, you know, uh, this is so far beyond me. I just maybe it just needs to go away. Huh? Why don't we just do that? Now, I know Joseph didn't have an iPhone. 
More than likely, a, one of those flip phones is probably what he had. But let's say, let's say he took a selfie. Here's my selfie right there. What if we freeze-framed him? What if we just looked at Joseph in between the time that he found out his wife, his betrothed wife, is going to have a child of the Holy Spirit? In between the nanosecond he found that out and the fact that he actually accepted it and God helped him accept it, just freeze-frame that like a selfie and let's, let's just stay within those two boundaries for a moment. Oh, oh, and by the way, let's say you took your selfie just now. Not your past, not your present, uh, no, not your past, just your present, and not your future. Just you right now, from the time you came in here to the time you leave, let's just do a selfie. Where are you? What's going on? What's happening in you? What are you thinking? Where are you in relationship to the future and what God says he wants to do in your life? See? Now, Maybe your situation isn't near as difficult as him, near as complex, near as different, near as unusual, but nonetheless, you've got one, I've got one, we all have got one. Freeze frame for a second. There are, at least in my experience, no shortage of men. No shortage of men. That have in the past, if not now, or for a long time, felt like an outsider looking in. I've met over the years no shortage of men whose, whose wife at all hears from God, conceives thoughts in her heart towards God, has a spiritual walk, reads her Bible, prays, raises her sons and daughters in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And there's no shortage of men out there that feel like they're an outsider looking in. They don't. They don't have that spiritual walk. Not yet, anyway. They can't compete. They can't fully understand. And they don't know how to move from the outside in. They just have to peer through the window, so to speak. Avoid certain conversations. Drop by the church every now and again. But everyone in the family knows. The wife knows, the son knows, the daughter knows. Dad's outside. He's freeze framed and he doesn't quite know what to do yet. How to accept certain things and do certain things and be there for us in ways that we need him to be there for us. I'm not sure dad knows how to raise someone else's son or daughter. And I'm not sure, I'm pretty sure Joseph doesn't know how to raise God. Talk about a feeling of inadequacy. Yeah, he's an outsider looking in. He may be absent from time to time. He, he's doing what he needs to do. Now it's the same for moms. Not as many, not in my experience. There's moms on the outside looking in. For some reason, it's not that often. There's something about women and spirituality. I'll tell you, I thought long and hard about this. Women know how to give birth to something. 
Now, if you're a man here and you know how to do that, I'm a little concerned. But women know how to give birth to hope. They know how to, a gestation period is like a prayer period. They know how to, to plant seeds. They know how to, to, to cultivate a harvest. They know how to raise a child. It, it's just a, something unique about women. It's, it's a fascinating thing. Joseph, now he's in a squivet. His private life is each and every day becoming more and more public. Hello? His private life is becoming more visibly public. And from the time he learned about this situation to the time he grew to accept it and move forward and marry the woman, I don't know if it was moments, I don't know if it was hours, I don't know if it were days or weeks, I don't know. Could have been a this wasn't decades, but I know there are people here today in the sound of my voice and littered throughout the 25 years of ministry that I've had that, that, that literally for decades have been on the outside of their own family when it comes to the spiritual walk, when it comes to being the spiritual leader. And, and, and it's an ache. It's, it's a, I felt this as a 20-something-year-old for my entire family. I was the first person in my family to come to Christ I, I came to the Lord and I took on this burden of the rest of my family and their salvation. And I, and I had to start a ministry within my own family to see them one by one come to the Lord. They were on the outside looking in and I'm not sure they were really looking for what I had or who I had. But I get it. Joseph on the outside looking in. That's troubling you can't make yourself do something you don't fully understand. You can't get ahead of God. You gotta wait for him to tug on your heart and to pull you. Sometimes to jerk you through a knot hole. You gotta wait for God sometimes to really show you how much he wants you. You've got to step up, you've got to man up, you've got to surrender. It sounds like you're supposed to do what every man's supposed to do. Fight, 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 strive, work. And the thing that keeps us on the outside looking in, more often than not, it's not the absence of fight. It's the absence of surrender. To try to put your own life together apart from God is a painstaking, dull ache. And quite frankly, it's dull. Period. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. I'll tell you, something's changing, rapidly changing uh, with people nowadays. I don't know, I can't explain it. But people are much more transparent. I cannot begin to tell you how many times I've, I've looked across my office as someone on the sofa and all of a sudden, without any prompting, without any asking, without any investigation, without any crowbars, without any screwdrivers or hammers, these people are regurgitating their sin and getting it out of them as fast as they possibly can, confessing as fast as they can. Things that would have got you beat up years ago are now like way out in the open. Things that would have, that have labeled you and... and, and and giving you the worst reputation, people are just bringing it out. You're not even, you're just sitting there listening. It's like a, like a, a river coming out of people. And, and after about 10 or 15 minutes, you look at them, they're like, oh, oh, 
Thank you. I didn't do nothing but sit there. I, I've, I've seen the underbelly of the Highlands Cashers Plateau. I've, I've been in, mixed it up with some of you, and I've had dialogue about it. I've seen the nasty, decaying, wretched, dark, gross part of life. Thanks for bringing it. <laughs> I mean, it's... There was a river up in Cleveland when I was a boy, the Cuyahoga River, caught on fire. The river caught on fire. I'm not kidding you. That's what I feel like sometimes. Nowadays, people are just taking the, the stuff that they kept and they put it, they filed it away and they, they kept it in secret, they kept it in secret. Kept, the file cabinet, the emotional file cabinet got so large, you couldn't shut the drawer anymore. And then they're just ready and just boom, there it goes. And man, it's a good thing. It's a gross thing, but it's a good thing. Something's happening, okay? All right, that having been said, we can ill afford secrecy anymore. Learn this first before making really bad mistakes. There's a relationship between the confession of your sin and sickness. There's a relationship between the confession of your sin and depression. And there's a relationship before the confession of your sin and, and having a clear conscience and your worship and your daily life and your sense of joy and your sense of whatever. There's a relationship. But do it with someone who's safe. Do it with somebody who's not going to shout it from the rooftops. Do it with somebody you're not going to do business with. Do it with somebody who's not going to know in the community. Do it with somebody who's not, lacks maturity, but do it. Now this man has had to deal with all of this on his own. He says, but while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Here we go. Say, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. Most people feeling on the outside, if they are on the outside long enough, no longer feel worthy of ever being on the inside. It's become, after a while, becomes your lot in life. It becomes something that's always, has been, always been that way and it's probably always gonna be that way. I'm never gonna have that that sense of inclusivity, even in my own family, in my own relationships, when it comes to an agreement about who Christ is. I, I, I don't know that I'm going to have that freedom. I've just gone so far, I don't, I don't think. If I did it now, it'd be too tough. It'd be too much of a leap. It's too much of a, a wall to cross over. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of just, I'm not afraid that people will find out. I think they already know. I'm afraid of what it will look like if I actually did surrender my life become vulnerable, that I might be disappointed if I did because the very things I keep secret would not go away and then look what, look what trouble I'm in then. Now I have God and I got all these problems. I'd rather have the problems than not have God and still have the idea that maybe one day he could help me. I'm of the mind that today's the day. 
Moses got to talking about the, to the Pharaoh about the plague of frogs, and he goes, what do you want to do? And he goes, I'll let you know tomorrow. Moses looked at the Pharaoh like, what? Why don't you just say you want another night with the frogs? It's the same thing. Like, what'd you come over here for today? What'd you come over here for today? That's a question you ought to be able to answer. Some people watching on that camera, maybe someone right here, can now say, you know what, know what, I don't need to be on the outside anymore. I need to be on the inside. Well, you got to dream a little bit. You can't be afraid. God's going to conceive something. A new way of living, a new way of looking, a new way of thinking. Because he wants to save his people. He wants to ransom his people. What do you, how do you ransom someone who's out on the outside, been taken, snatched away? How do, you, how do you ransom them? I mean, how much money do you have to pay to get somebody to accept Christ? How, do you, how much do you have to pay to get the darkness to give somebody up? And Jude says, how do you snatch somebody from the fire? Well, it's not a currency. Well, it is, but it's the most valuable currency. There's nothing that can match it. The blood of Jesus Christ justifies, sanctifies, settles matters. You partake of that cup in a little bit, you are partaking of the greatest, most invaluable, infinite, eternal currency that love never fails, that cannot fail. It will ransom you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. It's not about you. It's not about how much you did or how much you didn't do and how bad you are. It's not about your shame cycle, your addiction, your anxiety, your, your, your bad language. It's not about any of that. It pales. Your sin pales in comparison to the blood of Christ. It's not even close. It's not even close. There's no accounting. You don't even need a calculator. You can't sin enough as an affront to God to minimize the potency of the potentate. Please understand that. Don't you tell me you're not good enough to come to Christ. We all know that because it's true of every one of us. We're all, we all have a righteousness as like filthy rags. You come to church nowadays and you look around, everybody's pretty much showered, you can tell. Nice car in the parking lot. Things looking good. Don't be fooled, my friend. There's some pretty wicked stories from some pretty wicked past, some pretty wicked people. But right now, they're nowhere near who they used to be. I don't bring this up unless I think it might merit maybe helping somebody, but I, I talk about this often. It was about three o'clock in the afternoon on May 17th, 1987, and I was at a wedding reception on Roswell Road in Atlanta, Georgia, on about my 12th long neck Budweiser. And I finished it and I put it down on the table. And I said, well, that was it. There it is. The last one. I hightailed it over to the church. About a week later, walked that aisle and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. 
you kidding me? It's no enticement. It's no, it's no struggle. The power of God versus some vice. The newness of God versus some old habit. A new identity in Christ versus some old beat up, up and down loser. Come on. I spent most of my early childhood, childhood, teen, adolescent, and 20s feeling like I'm on the outside looking in. I don't like it. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they should call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. I had to really rethink this. I thought God was in heaven, like way up there. Somehow or another, I had to look up and pray up. I failed to realize that uh, the closing, intimate plea of Christ to the Father would be to send the Spirit. I was in New Orleans this last week. I had a 10 10 a.m. flight out of New Orleans back to Atlanta. And um, I was in the back of the plane uh, at the window. Uh, My only prayer once I realized I wasn't getting an exit road, my only prayer was that the person in front of me had no knowledge, nor would they gain any knowledge at any time during the flight that they could put their seat back. And it was answered, praise the Lord, because I'd have a knee replacement surgery today scheduled if that was the case. So the, the guy comes on and he says, uh, well, I got a little AC problem, got an AC problem. One of the units is out, it's gonna take about five minutes, gotta do a relay switch, got a guy coming over here, he's gonna push the button, it's gonna be great. Hour and a half later, 85 degrees, sweating, claustrophobic, got off the plane. I got home back to Atlanta and settled in a hotel because I was too tired to come up the mountain at midnight, exhausted, didn't really know what I was going to do. Like, just a long, long, long day. So on the flight, I finally got on. I was in the middle seat in between two fairly heavy set people. And I put on my noise-canceling Bose speakers, MSRP 300 big ones, worth every penny. I cranked up some Jesus culture and some Matt Redman from the time I got on that plane. I was dancing best you can dance in a seat without being able to go forward, right, or left. (laughs) I was so caught up in the spirit. I didn't, I missed the snacks, the drinks, the everything. When I opened my eyes after praying and listening to that music, we were on the runway in Atlanta. Glory be to God only to realize that someone had taken my carry-on bag and stole it with my computer in it. So I thought. Anyway, an hour and a half later, I got my bags back and got in the hotel. I sat down and I realized God is with us. God would actually 
Like, if I was God, I wouldn't do this, but he did it. He spent the flight with me in the middle seat. Oh my gosh, that's a good God. Overwhelmed me. I felt like the people next to me, I was going to open my eyes and they were going to be out on the floor. That's what I felt like. I was in Atlanta in rush hour traffic a few weeks ago. Lori B., in the middle of this rush hour traffic, sends me a song. I, play it, I played it five, six times. I could have swore my tires were six inches off of 285. The Spirit of God overwhelmed me with that song. Got me through rush hour traffic. It's gotten to now where I'm thinking about getting the worst seat on the plane and only driving at rush hour. But Emmanuel is with us. <clears throat> I used to get in these cycles of doing something stupid, then I feel ashamed of it, and then I, my relationships would get damaged, and then I couldn't come back, and I let people down for the kabillionth time, so I just got medicated, and that and it was all better, and then I, it never ended. It never ended. Emmanuel, God with us. Joseph was aroused from his sleep. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to his wife and did not know her till he had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Ephesians 5 and 14 says this, Wake up, O sleeper! I love that. Anybody really start taking some serious, serious naps in their late 50s? Can I get an amen? I mean... The ministry of napping is so fruitful for me. Anyway, <clears throat> wake up, O sleeper. Say, God, wake me up. Help me to see. Help me to see who you are. Take what's in the secret and let me give it to you. Don't live some secret, covert op and call it Christianity. That's a bunk. Christianity is public. Confess me before men, he says, I'll confess you before my father. Don't give me this private, liturgical, sophisticated, intimate walk with Christ that no one ever knows about. Something you do on the side, like a hobby. Give me a break. We're called to step out, stand up, and be counted. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead. That's what God did to Joseph. Don't be afraid when it conceives something. What's the point? Well, the point is, if you're on the outside looking in, friend, and I mean friend, I wouldn't be anything near a friend if I didn't tell you. What you've got conjured up in your mind is going to be too difficult to turn your life around with Christ. won't be difficult at all. He's your biggest fan. Notice Joseph was given the responsibility of naming God's son. Joseph and Mary declared his name to be Jesus. Jesus means the Lord saves. You know what, I think we get so complicated sometimes. If you're on the outside looking in and you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, you know what you have to declare? The name that is above every name, Christ Jesus. 
our Lord. To declare. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Where are you at? Where are you at when you freeze frame? You're here today and you don't have this awareness. You're on the outside. Everyone else seems to, but not you. Then I want to I pray for you. That's really, I can't do squat. God can. But I think this has probably gone on long enough. The message has and I think the apartness has. It's gone on long enough. You're here today and you need Jesus Christ. It's only because you were born. We all need him. What you need is a deep cleaning, forgiveness of sin, redemption, and hope. Does that resonate with anybody here? So once you raise your hand, you say, yeah, that's what I need. That's what I need. Thank you. Who else? You're on the outside looking in, friend. No one else is on the outside with you. You're you're only looking in. You're here today and you you say, you know what? I'm sort of falling away or I'm just kind of there, you know. Just kind of blah. I'm not near as excited about this Jesus as you are. Hey, you need a little prayer, you need a little help, just raise your hand. Come to the right place. We're here to help you. Thank you. Anyone else? All right, let's pray. Lift up our men of the church, men of the community, and men of our nation. Wherever needed, God would turn your heart back to your children. Wherever needed in this land, that which is done in secret would be confessed and brought to the light. That we can walk in the light as you are in the light and have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, will purify us of all sin. Give those here who do not know you an even deeper reason to get up in the morning and pursue you and be pursued by you. Help those who are raising another son or daughter to be the father they need to be. Give us an anointing. Share the good news of Jesus Christ in word and in deed. Bless us that we might be a blessing to others. Thank you for saving us, loving us, being patient with us. Do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's come to the Lord's table. What is this? Well, If you make sure you give people their greatest need and you remind them of their greatest need and you continually provide for them, they'll never really be a needy people. 
to be a people who have something to give to someone else. That's what this cup does. It does for you what you cannot do for yourself. If you understand how high and wide, long and deep is the love of Christ, it continues to keep you in right perspective with God. So as our communicants would come forward, we're going to take Holy Communion today by intention. I'm going to ask you to come up on this side here to this station. This, this section will come here. You have right side over there. I want you to pick up this wafer and dip it in this cup. Say, clear my conscience, Lord. Free me. Any way I need freedom. My power pales in comparison to yours. I do want to say this. If you've not yet come to a personal belief and faith in Christ, then I'd recommend you just stay in your seat. There's no point in simply a ritual without a heart. You first have the heart and then you practice the ritual. When you dip that broken body of Christ, that bread into that cup, put it in your mouth, pray that the Lord would heal you, even of that which is in secret, even the deep pain, the trauma, even that, heal you, set you free. But when you come, come reverently, come willingly, Come openly and come with gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen. This is open to all believers.